Computer, initialize Holosuite. Hello everyone, welcome back to this week's episode of the Sci-Fi Feminist Podcast. I would like to take a moment to thank everyone so much for your support and encouragement and your good response to this podcast up to this point. I am really encouraged to keep on making more episodes and to keep bringing you these interesting discussions about women and pop culture. So thank you so much for subscribing and thank you so much for listening. Today, I will be talking about one of my favorite characters from Star Trek. And actually, two weeks ago, I have done an episode on her. So this week's episode kind of follows on that one. So if you haven't listened to it already, it is episode 11 called Star Trek and Female Cyborgs, a focus on Seven of Nine. I don't think that's the exact title, but it's kind of called something like that. So you can find that episode. It's episode 11. Today I'll be talking about the new version of Seven of Nine that we see in Star Trek Picard. Now, I was super excited, like I think most Star Trek fans were, when it was announced that Jerry Ryan would return as Seven of Nine in Star Trek Picard. And actually, I really thoroughly enjoyed her character development and the way that Jerry Ryan portrayed Seven of Nine in Star Trek Picard. Interestingly, she's quite a bit more cynical, and I will get to that, but um, her whole status as intergalactic heroine, uh, the wielding of the two phaser rifles, and um, the the scene where she comes in, where she kind of, uh, her ship explodes, and then she gets beamed onto Picard's ship, and then she's like, you owe me a new ship, Picard, and then she faints. And then I was just like, what? Seven of nine, she's back. It's really cool. So, um, yes, and I'm very happy to to hear, too, that she's returning in season two of Star Trek Picard. The other day, I think it was on Trek Central, I saw a backstage picture of uh, a shoot in Star Trek Picard where she and Rafi is on the train. On, it looked like they're on some kind of a train. And then there was some indication that there might be like time travel in Star Trek Picard season two as well. So I'm very excited about that. And then after that picture, I decided I really need to do an episode on the latest version of Seven of Nine. So yes, I will be talking a little bit about her new appearance, how she is very much desexualized compared to the previous version of the character, and what that means for her as a feminist. I will also talk a little bit about how she's become more human and how she starts to embrace her humanity, and then about her status as a mother. Uh, there's a lot of emphasis on Seven of Nine as a mother in Star Trek Picard and also on her sexuality, her sexual orientation, which is kind of revealed at the end of Star Trek Picard season one. Um, it's not what it was in Voyager or not what everyone assumed it to be in Voyager. Um, yes, so you can look forward to a very interesting discussion about a character that I'm very passionate about. Okay, so let's get into the first part of this discussion then, which is Seven of Nine's appearance. So in the uh, previous episode, I describe how Seven of Nine's body is very sexualized and very um, 
fetishized and also feminized. She has these really huge breasts, this very thin waist and kind of like wide hips, this like perfect hourglass shape. Uh, perfect, I mean, by Western beauty standards, of course. Um, she's blonde and she's very attractive. Um, some fans have complained, actually, that, oh, Star Trek has turned the Borg into soft porn because of Seven of Nine's appearance in Star Trek Voyager. And like I explained in the previous episode, too, um, towards uh, the end of season four, well, I read this, I don't know how true it is, but the article said that Voyager, the, the views started going down. Um, the appeal of having a fee, the first female captain in Star Trek history, I think, was getting a bit old <laughs> after four years. Um, it's been done. So uh, in order to increase the viewership again, they introduced the character of Seven of Nine. And then at that time, Seven of Nine was very sexualized, arguably to appeal to the predominantly male demographic of viewers of Star Trek. Although I assume a lot of women might have watched Star Trek Voyager as well because of this whole uh, female captain thing. So, yes, um, that isn't uh, clear exactly why ha that happened or why she's so sexualized, but um, she's definitely presented as eye candy for some of the male viewers. But then, like I also explained, what's quite interesting about Seven is that she's not your typical stereotypical um, sexy blonde woman. Um, even though her body is so sexualized and she wears this really tight outfit, Actually, her personality is quite masculine. She's very calculated. She's very um, logical. She's quite stern. She's not interested in any romantic endeavors whatsoever. Every time someone kind of like Harry Kim often does makes some sort like seems to be in love with her or makes some sexual pass at her, she doesn't even get it because she's so unconcerned with that. When Neelix makes, Neelix makes a joke about having a few 7.5s of 9 running around in the future, he's referring to 7 of 9 having babies, of course, then she also gives him this really stern look, like, what the heck are you talking about? I'm going to kill you, you know? So these aspects of the character, like I explained in the previous episode, is quite subversive. Um, she's not your stereotypical woman, even though her body is sexualized like that. And actually, like I argued, this um, her her alternative version of femininity that she presents through her masculine character, unfortunately, that is undermined by her really feminized and sexualized body. So, how has it changed in Star Trek Picard? Well. And this is why I think the the version of Seven of Nine that we see in Star Trek Picard is quite a bit more empowering because she still kind of keeps this uh, calculated and she's still Seven of Nine. So her personality is still intact, although she's a little bit more emotional in Star Trek Picard. But her sexualized body and her skin tight outfit that undermined all the positive aspects of the character actually is no longer present in Star Trek Picard. Suddenly, actually, we see a heroine, Seven of Nine, who is dressed in a leather um, leather jacket, a top that, that covers her entire body. It's kind of a loose-fitting uh, top, too, or blouse, so it doesn't show off her figure. She wears 
long pants, um, but the pants aren't very tight. They're a bit tight, but they don't draw attention to her figure at all, actually. And then she wears boots. So her new outfit is actually very much um, a little bit more androgynous or a little bit more masculine. And actually, it doesn't draw very much attention to her body at all. Um, suddenly her hair is loose too, so it also covers her neck. Um, most of her body is covered. And even though most of her body was also covered in Star Trek Voyager, um, uh, her outfit was really tight. But now we don't see that tight outfit anymore. So suddenly Seven of Nine is desexualized and defeminized and her outfit is practical. And the the purpose of the outfit is not to draw attention to her body, like her outfit her outfit in Star Trek Voyager is. Um, it's so funny when the Doctor designs Seven's outfit in Voyager. He's like, "I'm no fashion designer, but I designed something for you that's really practical, and that's." Um, I can't remember the word he uses exactly, but he's like, yeah, this is the best outfit for you. Oh, it's aesthetic and practical, but it's this skin tight catsuit with high heels. Um, so I don't know how that is in any way practical on board a starship, but that's kind of what the doctor said. So I thought, yeah, it's funny that, you know, when a guy designed Seven of Nine's outfit, that is what it looked like. I wonder if Captain Janeway designed her outfit, if it would look any different. But anyway, that's just, uh, I'm going off on a tangent now. But yes, Seven's new outfit is also practical. And um, we can argue that that outfit is designed to make her look more tough rather than sexy. I'm actually reminded of Sarah Connor's outfit in Terminator Dark Fate. If you haven't watched that yet, it's really cool. Uh, again, not a great movie, <laughs> but it's cool and it's fun. Um, but it looks a lot like Sarah Connor's outfit that she wears in Terminator Dark Fate, which I thought was quite interesting. And then another interesting thing that we see is for the first time at the end of the final episode, we see that um, we can see Seven's scars for the first time. The scars that mark her transition from a Borg drone to a human being. Actually, in Star Trek Voyager, we, we never see her scars because her arms are always covered. And, um, you know, her technological implants are almost kind of sexy. <laughs> they're made to look her... Made, they're, they're made to make her look more sexy. Um, but in Star Trek Picard, we don't see that. And interestingly, in Voyager, uh, Seven's thin waist. So uh, you can see in Seven of Nine's outfit in Voyager that her waist has these kind of ridges. Now, actually, what those are is ridges from a corset she had to wear to to make her waist obviously more thinner and shapely. Um, but then in in terms of Star Trek lore, they justified it to say that, yeah, those are her like Borg implants on her stomach. So Seven's stomach is like still Borg, um, <laughs> which I thought was quite weird. But then it's kind of like that makes her more sexy. Um, these ridges on her waist that make her waist thinner was the corset that she wore. But then uh, they kind of make the Borg sound really sexy. Like, oh, look how thin her waist is because it's all like technology, it's all Borg implants. Um, but for the first time in Star Trek Picard, we see the, the ugly side of that. Um, we see the part where her Borg implants connect with her skin and um, it scars, it's it's quite, um, 
it's it's not so glamorized maybe i can say it in that way so that's quite interesting too uh for the first time we see uh seven display her apparent imperfections um she's not this idealized perfect uh borg goddess <laughs> that has the perfect body that um her you know that have these sexy implants uh she's not this person anymore but she's more uh realistic her outfit is more practical and we see actually the the scars from her transition from being borg to human so that's the first interesting change that we see and i think that is quite a positive change because for suddenly seven of nine is not idealized anymore uh, for the first time, we see a real person, and I think that's really good. Um, young young woman watching Star Trek Voyager <laughs> might feel like, oh, um, you know, is Seven of Nine, is that what I need to look like when I'm older? And actually, no one looks like that. <laughs> Only Jerry Ryan looks like that. Um, so I think her the version of femininity that she displays for us in Star Trek Picard is much more realistic and much more attainable and it's much more forgiving too. Um, yes, so that is it regarding Seven of Nine's new outfit. So yes, we can see that in Star Trek Picard, Seven of Nine, her, her appearance is much different from the Seven we see on Voyager. Um, but it's not just Seven of Nine's appearance, it's also her personality which I found quite interesting. There was an interview where Jerry Ryan mentioned her anxiety reprising Seven of Nine because after reading the script for the character, she felt like she can't find Seven's voice or she doesn't know um, how to portray Seven of Nine. You know, who has she become after 20 years after Voyager, um, after 20 years returning to the Alpha Quadrant. So I remember reading that she had quite a bit of anxiety regarding that. But I think she did a stellar job in portraying Seven of Nine. Although I was a bit sad that the character has become so cynical. Um, it's very interesting uh, that she has in the process also become more human. So just to recap about what happens in Voyager. In Voyager, Seven is actually quite hesitant about regaining her humanity. And on a few attempts, she actually tries to rejoin the Borg Collective. And she articulates to Captain Janeway a few times that she actually does not have a very strong desire to turn to Earth, to return to Earth. And um, although that changes a little bit towards the end of Voyager, we see that Seven of Nine has a very complicated relationship with her humanity. In the episode The Gift, Seven famously tells Captain Janeway, who apparently, according to Q, embodies the best humanity has to offer, and I agree, <laughs> I agree with that, Seven tells Janeway that you have imprisoned us in the name of humanity. We do not want to be what you are. And of course she uses we because she's she, that time she was still Borg. So she was talking as a Borg. We do not want to be what you are. We don't want to be human. And yeah, Seven saying, I don't want to be human. You've imprisoned me in the name of humanity. So throughout Voyager's journey, Seven continuously resists Janeway's instruction on how to be human and this also causes some conflict between them as you know. Now as I also showed through an analysis of the episode Body and Soul in episode 11, 
Seven's approach to problems often encourages the notion that the human identity is an informational pattern rather than an embodied in action. And there I quote from Catherine Hales, and then her personality is cold, stern, calculated, and machine-like in a voyager, and she represses and even disdains human emotion. In the episode called Imperfection, when Seven of Nine cries for the first time, she assumes that it must be a malfunction in her acceptable, acceptable, acceptable Borg implant. So, um, yeah, that is quite interesting too. Whenever Seven shows some emotion, then she's like, oh my goodness, no, I, <laughs> I can't have emotion. Now, very interesting that about Picard, uh, the, the series Star Trek Picard, which is set 20 years after Voyager returns to Earth in the altered timeline. There's an interesting moment between Seven and Captain Picard, who was, of course, also Borg once, being Locutus of Borg. Um, they obviously they have this thing in common. They were both Borg once. And actually, she, she acknowledges to Picard. She tells him that Actually, I'm trying to regain my humanity, and I quote, she says, every damn day. And this is a big shift from the Seven of Nine that we see in Star Trek Voyager. And I'll talk about this later too, but actually Seven also cries for the first time. We see her weeping over Egypt's body in when she's first introduced and um that is that is quite different from the seven we see on star trek voyager when her i quote child dies on voyager that is the borg drone uh his name is one in the episode i think the episode is called drone or one i can't remember um but there is a transporter accident as usual and then there is this uh, Borg that kind of grows from the doctor's mobile transmitter and Seven of Nine's Borg nanoprobes. This Borg baby starts maturing in the maturation chamber and then he grows up to be one, this really big uh, male Borg. And then in the end, actually, one dies. He kind of sacrifices himself for Seven and for the Voyager crew. And at that time, she obviously that's really sad. And then she kind of She's kind of sad, but uh, we never see her display emotion to this degree, which is quite interesting. Now, the political background in Star Trek Picard is quite interesting, too, because it's not one in which humans unproblematically embrace technology, as the crew and captain of Voyager do with their holographic doctor and their various Borg crew members later on. Seems like Janeway really <laughs> likes the Borg. But actually in Star Trek Picard, and I found this quite interesting, the political climate is one in which all synthetic life has been banned by the Federation. So its take on technology is a little bit more cynical than it is in Star Trek Voyager. We also see, when we see the ex-Borg for the first time, they look really mutilated, and we don't see them as these scary Borg, but we actually see them as human beings that are victims of the Borg, which I found quite interesting. Also, which is even more striking in Star Trek Picard, is that it is suggested that the Federation, which has represented the best of humanity, 
according to Q, <laughs> for decades of Star Trek, it has become morally corrupt and it actually initiated a war against synthetics through an elaborate conspiracy by the Romulans, right? So what being human entails therefore becomes increasingly ambiguous in Star Trek Picard because humanity cannot be based on the ideals of the Federation that are embodied by characters such as Captain Janeway and Picard anymore. And I found this quite interesting. So in Picard, Seven Seven has to negotiate her humanity in such a world and this is where her her emotions come in. She's somewhat more emotional and but justifiably, um, she she acts on her less desirable human impulses, such as seeking revenge and deceiving her crew. So the the model of humanity that Captain Janeway tried to teach Seven, um, we can see that that type of model of humanity is not really relevant in Star Trek Picard, or perhaps not irrelevant, but it's it's much less clear cut what being a good human being actually means. And I really enjoyed that dynamic that they added to the character, which is quite refreshing, I thought. Now, in keeping with the discussion of technology and Star Trek Picard's attitude towards technology, where Seven's technological augmentations often aid in Voyager's survival, as explored in episodes such as Tukant's Tukatse, <laughs> Tukatse, uh, I always get that wrong, and The Killing Game. For example, those same technological implants are actually a vice to her in Star Trek Picard. In Voyager, it is often Seven's organic body that fails her, like we see in some of the episodes, but in Picard, she and other ex-Borgs, such as Ichep, are actually hunted down and brutally murdered for their advanced technological components. And this can also be argued to be the source of cynical, Seven's cynical outlook on life, as it is suggested that she became hardened and disillusioned after she could not save Egypt from his violent fate, which was to be harvested for his Borg parts um, indirectly by her apparently ex-lover, Bejazel. So... Yes, um, that is that is the change in attitude we see towards technology in Star Trek Picard. But what does this all mean for feminism? <laughs> Why did I talk about Seven's humanity and her change in attitude towards technology? Well, it's interesting because for cyber feminists, and this is something I elaborate much more on in episode 11, so please listen to that episode if you want to know about cyber feminism, but cyber feminists view the idea that the mind and body can be split as a vice, as something that's bad for female empowerment. Because for cyber feminists, the body has been the the site of women's oppression since the very beginning. So if we remove the body from the equation, then feminism, it's very difficult to, to make a feminist argument, according to cyber feminists. And then also regarding Seven's more emotional disposition in Star Trek Picard, we see that suddenly there's not this kind of schizophrenic heroine that is hyper-feminine in her body and hyper-masculine in her personality and her actions, but rather we see a heroine that 
really flows on the continuum between masculinity and femininity much more organically and much more reasonably, which I think is a move in the right direction. Um, for me, she's a much more realistic and attainable version of femininity. And she finally, the, the idea that cyber feminists wanted to realize, the idea that the female body should or human experience should be considered as embodied that the female body is important for the the foundation of arguing for women's rights that the the cyber realm shouldn't be disembodied but that the female body should be reinserted back into the cyber realm all of those things are kind of realized or displayed in this new representation of Seven of Nine. So actually, I would argue that in terms of cyber feminism, as, as a cyber feminist character, Seven is the ideal cyber feminist character based on what cyber feminists have been arguing all along. And it's interesting because cyber feminists have made this argue, these types of arguments in like the early 2000s already and even the late 1990s. But it's only now that we see the representation of a heroine who is, who is cyborg, who is both human and machine, but who is embodied, who is emotional, who is human more than being machine. So. That is really the crux of this entire discussion and why I wanted to point out all of these different aspects of Picard's, Star Trek Picard's attitude towards synthetics. And I think that really reveals a lot about our current zeitgeist, how we view technology at this time. I think in the late 1990s and early 2000s, there was def definitely this idea that technology is going to save us or that technology, it was quite idealized. And we see that in the representation of Seven of Nine. Her her technological parts are even kind of fetishized. Uh, but now we kind of see the ugly part of technology um, when AI gains sentience, when uh, humans turn against technology and when technology turns against humans. And in a more literary sense, we actually see the how how technology how the borg um the their borg implants and being assimilated by the borg how all of that actually leaves lasting scars on the on the characters both emotionally and physically so this shift in representation i think is quite significant and seven really embodies this shift quite well now moving on to the next section which is seven's motherhood or the emphasis placed on seven as an adoptive mother in star trek picard so i don't know if i mentioned this earlier but in the voyager episode collective janeway actually rescues a few borg children including Echep, who we see appearing again in star trek picard from the borg collective in a similar way that she actually rescues seven in the two-part episode scorpion Unfortunately, Echep doesn't remain for very long. And, you know, although Echep was, it was a really cool Easter egg to see as a Voyager fan, to see Echep again in Star Trek Picard, I was quite sad when he really died so early and that it is such a, a, 
such an emotional and such a sad scene and such a sad event in Seven's life that we see. So um, I, I feel like teary, even if I just think about that scene where uh, Seven actually has to perform a mercy kill on Egypt. So yes, um, despite that, Seven as a potentially adoptive mother is briefly explored in Voyager in the episode Drone. Okay, so the episode's name is Drone. It's not one. <laughs> Where Janeway asks Seven to mentor a Borg drone that comes into existence as the result of the transporter malfunction, like I explained earlier. But then, like I explained, by the end of the episode, the drone named One is destroyed. And it is only again in the episode Collective that Seven is given the responsibility to mentor Borg children once again, but this time for a longer period of time. So if you've watched Voyager, um, three of the Borg children are eventually returned to their families or their home planets a few episodes later in the episode called Imperfection. And Echeb is actually the only Borg child that remains on Voyager after the other Borg children have been returned to their families and after Voyager returned home. So Seven subsequently becomes his mentor and it is revealed in Star Trek Picard in the episode Stardust City Rag, I think it's episode 6, that she in fact considers Echeb as, and I quote, the closest thing to kin that she ever had, which implies that obviously they have a mother-child relationship. Now, in Star Trek Voyager, we see that Seven actually keeps this professional distance between her adopted Borg children. And in the episode Imperfection, she renounces her tears as when they leave as a malfunction in her Borg technology when they find, when she finds out that the children will be returned to their biological parents. But then in Star Trek Picard, Seven explicitly calls Egypt, or maybe not calls, but maybe admits that he's her son while she performs a mercy kill on him and while she's trembling with tears. That is really a very sad and moving scene. And that is a stark difference. That display of emotion is such a difference from what we see on Star Trek Voyager. Now, once again, what does this mean in terms of Seven as a feminist? Why is this recent emphasis on her motherhood so important for her as a feminist character? Now, quite interesting, and this is actually what two theorists are called, Sarah Bach and Jessica Langer, what they argued about the emancipatory aspects of Ellen Ripley in Alien, about her, her adoption of Newt in the second Alien movie called Aliens. And I really think that their arguments can really be applied to Seven of Nine in this context too. So what they said is that Ripley's motherhood of Newt is, and I emphasize, unconnected to the process of childbearing as Newt is her surrogate but not her biological daughter. And therefore, the relationship, and I quote again, represents a fracturing of the normatively sexual mode of motherhood that other theorists such as Betty Friedan and Simone de Beauvoir and Shulamith Firestone all would have argued 
is what uh, what's the word oppresses women. Um, so those theorists argue that they really argue a lot against biological motherhood, and they say that that is really like the one thing that oppresses women. Obviously, that's not entirely true. They were writing as second wave feminists in the 1960s and 70s when the situation was quite different. But that is why these or these theorists say that adoptive motherhood might be better and might be uh, more empowering for a character like Ellen Ripley and also for Seven of Nine because it's unconnected to the process of childbearing. For these theorists, Ripley's, and then I would also say Seven's, motherhood is, and I quote, an active and chosen connection rather than a passive biological connection, which therefore places it outside of the patriarchal ideal, and this is a quote too, of the biological nuclear family as primary unit of society and is therefore emancipating. So, and I, I kind of agree with that. I, and this, this, representation of motherhood that we see in a lot of contemporary heroines is is quite a notable shift in the representation of women. It seems that motherhood is at the fore of women's issues again, but many of these contemporary heroines like Seven of Nine are actually adoptive mothers. We see that for Emperor Giorgio as well, and even for Captain Janeway, even though she's not an adoptive mother, Ugh, even though she's not a, um, a contemporary heroine, she's also an adoptive mother of her crew. And then, of course, there's this uh, beautiful story between Emperor George O and Michael Burnham in Star Trek Discovery, how she adopted Burnham kind of in both universes. Um, if you want to hear more about Emperor George O, I obviously love that character. You can listen to episode one of this podcast in which I talk about her and the relationship between her and Michael Burnham. But yes, so this is Seven as a mother, and I think the fact that she is the adoptive mother of Egypt, I think that is quite empowering for her, and that is again a big shift from what we see about of the Seven in Star Trek Voyager. So the final thing I want to address is, of course, that last scene in Star Trek Picard, where we see Seven of Nine and Raffi interlocking hands. <laughs> as the camera pans out. And it's quite cool, the backstage picture that leaked, or actually it, has, it is actually a picture of Raffi and Seven of Nine on this, what looked like a train. So I do think that their relationship is explored in more detail in season two. I'm quite hoping for that. I think that is gonna be a lot of fun to see and a really interesting character development. Now, let me talk about that a little bit. Of course, I argued in the previous episode, another previous episode, in episode 11, that the forced heterosexual relationship between Seven of Nine and Chakotay that we see towards the end of Star Trek, Devo Star Trek Voyager, that really undermines a lot of her cyborg potential because as a cyborg, according to Donna Haraway's concept of what the cyborg is, or you know, the feminist possibilities that the cyborg figure presents, because the cyborg kind of exists between 
extremes and exists in this liminal space between human and machine, masculine and feminine, nature and culture, because it breaks down all of these assumed binaries, actually, it also creates, uh, it also breaks down um, sexual binaries or the, the whole idea that there's only masculine and feminine, male and female, and it really presents an alternative to our understanding of gender and of sexuality. But then, unfortunately, what Voyager does by forcing, and I'm saying forcing because I really felt like the pairing up with Chakotay in Endgame of Star Trek Voyager, literally in the final episode, was so out of place. It was so random. It was so out of character. It was really unexpected and it wasn't built up or anything at all. I think that was very strange. But what that does is it forces us to read Seven as only heterosexual and as heteronormative, which really destroys all of that potential that the female cyborg figure theorized by Donna Haraway presents. Just to recap what happens in Endgame, in the final scene of Endgame, actually it is quite open-ended and Seven's future is actually left open for interpretation. So the concluding Voyager episode, Endgame, it makes explicit Seven's romantic relationship with Chakotay, which I think is very problematic. And it indicates that in the original timeline, Seven actually becomes Chakotay's wife. But then also in this timeline, Seven of Nine dies young. So the awesome Admiral Janeway travels back in time from the future, where it takes Voyager 23 years to reach home to bring Voyager back to Earth earlier and to save Seven's life. And I think that is just, again, another display of how awesome Captain Janeway is. I saw a meme and it's something like uh, brings Voyager home from the Delta Quadrant um, in 23 years. And then it's like Captain Janeway is like, no, not good enough. I'm going to alter the timeline and bring Voyager back earlier. So she's really tenacious and really great. But <laughs> let me stop fangirling over Captain Janeway. But then in this altered timeline, it is obviously not clear upon returning to Earth whether Seven actually becomes Chakotay's wife or not. According to Betty Friedan, who I talk about, I think it's in episode four on early liberal feminism. You can find that episode. She actually says that, well, she argued that being housewife is like the worst thing a, a woman could be. She wrote in 1963 about that. It's quite a, a seminal text. It's called The Feminine Mystique. But like Betty Friedan would have argued, actually becoming, Chicote, becoming Chicote's wife may be quite problematic for Seven as a woman and especially as a cyborg. And then forcing her into a heterosexual relationship like the Voyagers, like the writers of Voyager did, towards the end of Endgame, it really undermines her emancipatory cyborg potential, which I explored in more detail in episode 11. Now, not much detail is actually given about what happened between Seven and the Voyager crew after they returned home, and I would be so interested to see them make some sort of a, a series about the time between Voyager 
and Star Trek Picard. Like, what happens in those 20 years to Seven of Nine? And what happened to the crew of Voyager? Where are they? What are they doing? What happened to all of them when after they returned home? I would be really interested to watch something like that. But not much detail is given. Even in Picard, um, not a lot of context is given. Seven kind of appears out of nowhere and... She doesn't actually elaborate on her past as much as I thought they would. That was really a good opportunity, I think, for them to to elaborate on what happened, but they didn't. So maybe we'll see more of that in season two. I'm not sure. But her only tie to Voyager is Echip, whom it is revealed in the episode Stardust City Rag, of course, was brutally harvested for his Borg implants. But what is clear in Picard is that Seven did not pursue a relationship with Chakotay, or maybe she did and they broke it up, and initially it appears that she actually remained alone in the interim between Voyager and Picard. But I guess a lot could have happened in 20 years. Maybe she got married to Chakotay and then uh, broke up, <laughs> or I don't know. I, I, I guess he could write a very quite interest, quite an interesting fan fiction about what happened to Voyager after they got home. Anyway, um, part of Seven's transgressive potential as a cyborg is the fact that both her gender and sexuality are presented as fluid and flexible. And I used the episode Body and Soul to articulate that. So you can listen to that in episode 11. That is to say that when Seven is suddenly paired up with Chakotay in Endgame, she is explicitly established as heterosexual and female and heteronormative and her fluid sexuality is completely repudiated or like completely denied like <laughs> she's not a fluid sexual character she is heterosexual and she's with Chakotay and she's also female I think I mentioned this in the previous episode on seven of nine too but actually the original idea uh, Jerry Taylor posed this idea to I think it was Paramount Pictures at that time to make Seven of Nine a bisexual character. But then, of course, Voyager was family-friendly. And then if you did that in the 90s, that would have been sacrilege. Like, how dare you put a bisexual character in a show that families watch? You know, that would have been a really very controversial at that time. Of course, now it's not at all. And in Star Trek Discovery especially, we see really... Um, good present representations of queer uh, LGBTQ characters and that is totally um, acceptable now in the in 2021 which is quite uh, positive I think um, yes yeah, so so seven was actually going to be a bisexual character but then they said no that's a no no we're not going to do that seven is going to be you know even though her gender and sexuality is so uh, interesting and it's actually presented as fluid throughout voyager and this whole idea that her character is so masculine even though her body is so feminine all of that you know makes her makes her quite fluid in terms of her gender and sexuality and even there was a lot of subtext of course if you are familiar with the Janeway 7 um, fan fiction and slash Janeway 7 slash uh, that she might be a queer character but that was never realized of course she never went into a relationship with Captain Janeway and then in Endgame they put her in a relationship with Chakotay to say that you know whatever you guys have been speculating uh, she's not gay she's not uh, queer she's nothing she is uh, heterosexual and she's Chakotay's wife but in contrast, in Star Trek Picard, 
Perhaps because it was created in 2020, Seven of Nine is unambiguously presented as queer. In the episode Stardust City Rag, Seven takes a revenge on an old colleague named Bejazel. That's a very strange name. I, I was wondering, you know, of all the names they could choose, why name her Bejazel? But anyway, her name's Bejazel, who betrayed her, and then it is implied she also indirectly affected the death of Ichep. The episode's dialogue suggests that Seven and Pajazel may have known each other more intimately, as Pajazel patronizingly addresses Seven by her human name, which is Annika. And Seven's sense of betrayal also seems to be of a specifically personal nature. So many fans have actually commented at that time on Twitter, like, oh, am I the only one that picked this up? You know, is there some weird sexual tension between Seven and Pajazel? Um, so many fans have commented on that and they, they suggested that actually there might have been a homosexual relationship between Seven and Bejazel. But then the final episode of season one of Picard makes Seven's queerness explicit. In the episode Et in Arcadia Ego Part 2, which is the season finale of Star Trek Picard, Seven is seen romantically interlocking hands with another female crew member, which is Rafi Massacre, confirming Seven's suggested sexual orientation in Stardust City Rat. Once again, what does this mean for Seven in terms of feminism? Well, the fact that Seven is presented as a queer or at least a bisexual character in Star Trek Picard might be seen as redemptive for her character as a cyborg, specifically. Um, not necessarily as a woman, but as a female cyborg, at least in terms of Catherine Hales's notion that the cyborg is able to break down ideological boundaries that are arguably reinforced by heterosexuality, as Monique Wittig would also agree. Some see the sudden change in Seven's sexuality as an attempt by writers to fix a mistake Star Trek made in the past by denying the character's queer potential and making her clearly heterosexual. And it could also be, you know, another instance of what we also sometimes tend to see in the media these days is just the idea that um, series and movies try to be woke, you know, like a box ticking exercise. Like, okay, we have a character of color, we have a queer character, we have um, a color, uh, an Asian character, you know, they kind of tend to tick the boxes um, like that these days too. But the fact that they made Seven's queerness canon in Star Trek Picard really makes her realize her full potential as a cyborg. Uh, the cyborg that Donna Haraway um, envisioned to be able to break down these boundaries and to have a more fluid sexuality and to exist outside of this patriarchal order. So yes, those are the main aspects of Seven of Nine that I wanted to touch on. I will be definitely be doing another episode on her when season two of Star Trek Picard comes out. I am so excited to see how her character will develop, what type of character she will become. I really hope that she will become less cynical and that she'll be able to find a little bit more joy as a person and as an ex-Borg. I really hope so. But um, yes, that's the discussion of Seven of Nine. I really hope that you enjoyed this episode. And um, yes, please interact with me. Please comment. Please let me know if 
you maybe had an another interpretation of seven uh, please let me know i'm really interested to find out thank you so much for listening and then i'll see everyone again next week this is the sci-fi feminist signing off for now and uh, live long and prosper as always and um, take care thank you for listening bye bye This show is brought to you by Holosuite Media. Computer, list other available Holosuite Media programs. Loading Holosuite Preview Program 4, Blast Shield, a Star Trek Lower Decks podcast. I think we all thought Ransom was going to go into that fight scene, thinking that it was game over before it even started and he was going to lose. But I think the moment he rips his uniform off, (laughs) which is hard anyway to rip a shirt, but to rip an actual like jacket like that, Mm. pretty impressive. And then he had like... About, I don't know, I think it's like 62 abs. He just looked ripped. And then he was just like, you know, a little bit of this. Yeah. A little bit of that. I was just going to say, it was the way that he also narrated it. It was just perfect. It was great. Ransom definitely went to the school of Kirk Fu. Ransom Fu, maybe we should be calling it. Loading Holosuite Preview Program 4, The Voyages, a Star Trek original, animated, and Kelvin Films podcast. Full honesty, I did find that the scene was seemingly long when they were driving with him and and Scotty to get to the Enterprise when they were in their little capsule. I felt that that was a very long scene driving around the whole Enterprise. But find yourself someone in life that looks at you the way Kirk looked at the Enterprise. I mean, that was a beautiful moment. And I absolutely adored when Spock came back onto the Enterprise. Just how everybody on the bridge, like Yuhura and Chekhov and everybody, they just kind of rallied around him. And it was a really warming moment just to see that original core group of people just celebrate him and happy to see him. Computer, deactivate Holosuite.